giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen, and with me today is Kat Noon, CEO and founder of Stark. Kat, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. So to kick off, could you tell us what Stark is? Sure. Uh, Stark is the plugin to help you design and build products that are uh, accessible and ethical and inclusive. We started off as a contrast checker and colorblind simulator with the education and resources. And now we're building it out into uh, what we hope becomes the gold standard uh, design compliance tool. How long have you been working on it? Oh, um, two years now. And has that entire time been full-time or did it start as a side project? No, it started, everything that ends up being something for me started off as a side project, um, which is part of this mental model, this this process for me with regards to um, testing something, validating and seeing whether or not it's something even worth being anything. Stark was one of those and uh, now is full-time. But when we first kicked off Stark, I was in the middle of building um, Iris Health. And as a product in in health, we were like, okay, this needs to be accessible. Um, And, uh, you know, specifically for a product targeting older adults. So a lot of that, those like core guidelines that you follow in terms of accessibility need to be there. And I realized that the tools that were out there were very siloed off from my workflow and I had to, you know, scan Google and, you know, which one was the right one, which one would be around, you know, because they they seemed to get shut down quickly Mm -hmm. and uh, they weren't intuitive. They weren't simple and beautiful and a delight to use. You know, I think they all kind of feed into this stigma that accessible products or products that um, focus on accessibility are not beautiful. Um, and are not a delight. And I was just like, this shouldn't be. Mm. So, you know, we kicked it off and um, and we said, you know, well, let, let's just bake it right into the design tool that we use. So, you know, at the time it was Sketch. Sketch was the big one. And, um, you know, we built it as a plugin there and started off as this contrast checker and colorblind simulator. And eventually we're like, you know, let's uh, let's share it with the rest of the design community. And it it took off. Yeah, I think uh, you've got some fans over here at ThoughtBot. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's appreciated big time. Seriously, very humbling. So digging in a little bit more to exactly what it does, especially for someone who maybe isn't on the design side or even development, what is it helping folks building products or websites do exactly? So the two main things being the contrast checker and the colorblind simulator help ensure that the colors that you select, your UI elements or your text or what have you, are meeting these certain guidelines that are enforced by the WCAG uh, standards. And and by meeting those standards, you as a designer and you as a, a company ensure that the colors being used can be seen by individuals with a wide variety of vision disabilities or, you know, color deficiencies, or for that matter, some individuals with um, epilepsy or autism um, may be impacted by these like really jarring neon bright colors. So by doing that, you ensure that a much wider variety of individuals that are or potentially can be using your product um, actually are delighted when using it as well, not just uh, individuals that have, you know, that perfect vision, you know, anyone from low vision to some form of colorblindness can enjoy it. 
And is it specifically for vision accessibility? Are there other types of accessibility considerations out there when it comes to products? Yeah. So for right now, you know, we kickstarted with those very basics that I think everybody immediately wants and needs to get started with designing for accessibility. And now we're we're moving into, um, I guess you'd call it like the nitty gritty of like deep type analysis. So making sure that, you know, everything from the font size you choose to, you know, the weight and the color are meeting guidelines and providing you with a checklist to make sure that, you know, like your navigation hierarchy and whatnot are up to par because there are, it's, it's much more grand than just color. It's everything from the way you set up your, you know, design and code. So a, a user can navigate your product more easily to those, you know, those quiet states versus active states, the way you design and code your forms um, and the way a user can interact with those, you know, how clear that is, whether or not something can be read back to you on a website or an application for, you know, iOS or whatever device you're using through voiceover capabilities. So there's, there's much more to it. There's a, you know, there's a, a whole checklist of, of things that, that uh, designers and developers need to go through. But for us, it's how do we present that in a product in a way that ensures you see that you can do this in a really simple and beautiful way. And it's not as overwhelming as I think um, the internet makes it out to be. We've been talking a lot about accessibility at ThoughtBot in the context of, you know, how we help our clients build products and how we can do that better as far as like introducing best practices or or tools, for example, but also for ourselves as well. So I'm actually the CMO and we're working on the website right now. And one of the major things we're trying to think about is how do we make the the website more accessible. Mm-hmm. And so I've personally been learning a ton in the process from some folks here who who know a whole lot um, and been super helpful. And one big thing I think I've learned is that, you know, a lot of it is just like being aware of these different types of accessibility considerations, doing your best mm-hmm. as you move along, trying to communicate to the audience also, you know, that you're aware of some downfalls like we just released our first uh, accessibility statement on the site. Nice. Congrats. Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> it was exciting. But I think, yeah, some folks may think that ThoughtBot has it fi- figured out, but um, you know, everyone's kind of trying to chip away at it and do better step by step. I think that's the first step. You know, in our industry, I think, um, and probably just on a, a global scale, um, a lot of people work in extremes and there's not really room for messing up. You know, people will come at you with spears. and But, but I think um, having this general desire to learn and to understand and to be able to ask those questions that are a little bit uncomfortable with the understanding that you you want to do better is a, is a great start. That's how we get anywhere is, is by sitting through and, and leaning into those uh, really uncomfy conversations. But Whenever you say accessibility, I think it's easy to to immediately think, you know, contrast checking and color and implementing alt text into your code for like buttons and imagery and actions and semantic HTML and ARIA labels and whatnot. But we don't really think about how accessibility just simply means something is accessible, access. So for us, what we're also thinking about is localization. Localization is part of accessibility. 
checking the load time and latency the design requires on the code end of things, like that alone makes things more accessible to people. The fact that people in certain areas of the country don't have access to their finances, you know, their banks, because it's far, that, that's lack of access. So it's it's a much bigger topic for us than these like really basic things. But we knew that in order to help educate the community, the industry, we needed to start from like those foundational principles, those guidelines. And, and that's what we're doing. But from where we started to where we are now, the conversation's being had. And for us, that's a that's a huge win. Do you have an idea of what that end line is? If you could make Stark wildly successful and helping folks with accessibility, what are, what are some of those grand ideas you have bouncing around? For us, I want us to be that gold standard. You know, you look at the WCAG and hell, our, our product uses the math from them. Um, and, you know, they are the go-to. I want us to be significantly bigger than that. I want us to be the ones helping change civic design and city design and, and the way, you know, we communicate from, you know, the, the most basic levels of design all the way through to government. Like, I really want us to be helping shape everything possible um, with a diverse mindset, a diverse team, a wide spectrum of tools in this suite that we have or and, and that is coming. Um, so it's a it's a big lofty goal, but I want to make sure that the fact that we're not the first out there, that we we really, you know, look back, pay attention, see what has been done and capitalize on the position of privilege and the the advantage from a, a talent level that we have to really deliver something that delivers for everyone that trusts in us and loves us. I think that's the quick summary of the big lofty goal. Um, you know, I, hands down, bow down, uh, kudos to WCAG. They are the one. But I think there's something missing there in that it in itself, like it's not inherently accessible. You know, it's not an easy read. It almost feels like it's not human readable and doesn't feel very beautiful. So for us, it's like, okay, how do we... How do we help them? You know, how do we join forces? You know, if that's what it takes to just really give everybody what they need to do this the right way. Um, you know, we have an obligation. Let's use the positions that we have to deliver to the people. <laughs> the people. <laughs> yeah, you you had mentioned uh, that you know some tools have come and gone. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened there? So for me, I just I can only judge by what you know I know from my experience and also what people have told us mm-hmm. through interviews is that silos don't work. We see that as communities, we see that on an organizational level with disciplines within a team, be it, you know, design and development, siloing people and resources off from each other just creates such a break. And um, we know that it's out of sight, out of mind. If they're not in your face continually delivering, they're not going to be your go-to. And the one thing that uh, plenty of people, but someone in particular said to us was, you know, we can't unsee you. And for us, that's a compliment because it's not like we're delivering shit to you. We're giving you quality and uh, it's a pretty damn good tool. So if that's the case, then, you know, we're always in your face. Um, and when we are in your face, you know, we're also giving you a, a really great experience and a, a tool that helps you do your job and saves your ass. So I think that's the combo. And you mentioned also you're building your team now, mm-hmm. obviously. What does the team currently look like as far as um, sort of specialties? So amongst us, we're all, well, I wouldn't consider myself even remotely a developer. I wouldn't even slap that label on on me, but we are a team of designers and developers. 
majority of us have led design teams, you know, led organizations, led companies. So we we all, for the most part, collectively have experience in everything that covers the spectrum of what it takes to build a product and ship it from conception to fruition to user interviews, you know, research and um, sales and marketing. And so for us, I think that's a strong advantage. We can each hop in and out of everyone's role as need be and assist each other when when need be. So it's all designers and developers. Three out of four are designers. Two out of four of us are developers. And then the other two of us can develop, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't say. This is uh, the Venn diagram yeah, of the team. That's everything, you know, all development from HTML, CSS, JavaScript to Mac and, you know, front end, back end development. So it's a nice spread. And it was the team, are these folks that you knew before or that you went about the hiring process from scratch? When we started Stark, I didn't know Michael, who is my partner and CTO. I was introduced to him through a mutual friend of ours who he was working with at the time, and it was a solid match. And he's the only one that didn't know anybody, actually. So it worked. (laughs) And do you have anyone focused on uh, business side of things or not yet? Yeah, me. Yeah. Tell me about what you're working on. So at the end of June, we kicked off subscriptions. So that's been a whole different world. And business and sales is not my wheelhouse. Um, I've done it before. I don't like it. I'm comfortably uncomfortable right now. And uh, I'm trying to (laughs) learn and and take in as much as possible because I know that because it's not my wheelhouse, I need to bust my ass significantly harder to stay on top and to educate myself as much as possible. So if there's anything related to SaaS that you know um, and and sales regarding (laughs) it, please don't hesitate to to send it my way. Um, I'm trying my hardest now. Uh, the good thing is that I, a lot of customers, specifically on like the team side of things, are inbound, and so I'm grateful for that. But now it's just you know getting to, getting to understand the ins and outs of um, what makes good sales and and how to get creative. And I'm big on that. I like that. Like how can we, how can we reach X goal with only like five dollars? And and you know like getting creative with that stuff. Uh, the good thing is that we have money, so there's money to burn. But uh, are you funded, like VC funded? No, or? no, we're not VC funded. No, bootstrapped. We received, I guess you consider funding. It's not, it's not VC funding from Adobe's um, Fund for Design and um, Envision's Design Fund over the course of these years. But uh, now we're riding on our own, like the rest. That's it. No more. There's no more taking money. Um, though. I'd be lying if I said that um, we weren't entertaining the thought of fundraising. So you mentioned that you integrate with Sketch, or that was the first one. Yeah. What are the other tools that you work with? It's Sketch, Adobe XD, and Figma. How are you thinking about what kind of tools Stark may want to integrate with or work with in the future? For us, we determine where we go based on, obviously, demand. Sketch at the time was the obvious one, mainly because it was selfish. We we were using that. So it's like, okay, we need something for this design software. And the rest, um, you know, Adobe approached us and we had the discussion about, you know, whether or not to, to bring Stark to XD. And for us, it was like, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful piece of software. It's where, you know, all of our design work lives now because we poured it over from Sketch. And not long after it became, you know, when are you coming to Figma? When are you coming to Figma? And by the time we launched on there, we had, I think, like 500 requests for it. 
Wow. Oh, yeah. Just just on social media, you know, through DMs and outreach and, you know, conversation that we, you know, noticed. And uh, last I checked, we were, I think, uh, in stalls on Figma. I think it was like 14,000. I don't know. I don't even know what we're at now, but it did really well. So the people weren't lying when they said they wanted us to come there and it was a good choice. And it's all about demand, right? And, and there's one part demand. There's another part. Can we can we port over the Stark experience to a different platform and ensure you're going to get the same quality experience? Because if there's a lack of parity, we don't do it. So that's what we look for. I am Right now with this trio, we're pretty done for now. Yeah, it's a pretty good trio. It is. It is. It's it's really good. Um, we're we're in discussions about a, um, one of the other pieces of software, which shall remain nameless for now. But we're happy with this. It's a solid amount to manage, and we may or may not have picked up a developer account for Apple. So that's that teaser. Yeah. So you just threw around some pretty impressive numbers there. How many users do you have? What other metrics could you share? Users, I cannot share that. But in terms of usage, Stark is clearing um, well over at this point, 100,000 per month. So it's being used well over 100,000 times per month. And that for us is pretty satisfying. <laughs> That's a nice number. So I can't, I can't really complain. Yeah, that's amazing. Are you handling any sort of customer support? Mm-hmm. You know, you said mentioned you just have a team of four. That's mm-hmm. a lot of usage for a team of four. It, well, only only if something breaks, right? So, um, <laughs> so right now, um, the good thing is that not much breaks. Um, we actually had something break two weeks ago, where there was an update to Sketch or something like that, and the subscription. Anytime you purchase a subscription, it would lock you out, and so you couldn't put your license in to register to get started. And we were just like. This is so bad because uh, it's like people are just purchasing. It's such a like a cut in the experience and that's never what ah. we want. So um, that had us sweating bullets for a solid week, but it's all settled now. For the customer support, you know, end of things, you know, a lot of people reach out for a few main things. One is just general questions about all things accessibility. So the good things that we have in our like knowledge base, a few general posts like what is double A versus triple A and um, using a contrast checker and these, you know, basic guidelines and whatnot. So we toss those back their way and we answer any questions that aren't in there and, you know, use that to actually create new content. Then it's other people like uh, someone from a team that's reaching out about volume licensing or, you know, a hiccup that happens. So it's at a point now where the support tickets are a solid amount to where we're like, okay, this is working and also manageable if I'm only doing it for X amount of time per day. So I try to focus on that at a certain point of the day so that nobody's ever waiting longer than 24 hours to hear back from us. And, you know, I can still get the rest of the work done that, you know, is happening for this particular sprint or whatnot. And is there a community evolving around Stark? Yeah. So one of the best things I think we did and what separates us from a lot of the others that have existed or currently do exist is that we built it up with a community. So from the very beginning, we were working with people to build Stark into what it is. We kickstarted with, you know, asking on Twitter whether or not anybody was interested in having discussions with us. And that's people who are colorblind, people that have low vision, um, and then just designers that, you know, have, you know, typical vision and, you know, getting their feedback as well. And so that would eventually snowball into what's there now. And, you know, we have a a community up on spectrum.chat 
and um, we have a feedback slash beta channel in our Slack group. And a good solid search on Twitter will show you just that the community is talking, um, you know, when referencing anything pertaining to accessibility, it's no longer, you know, something like, you know, a contrast checker for Figma. It's, oh, yeah, I would love to see something like that, like Stark for Figma. That language has changed <laughs> around it. And um, we also, someone said the other day, like, they Starked it. So like, it was just like, okay, did we make it now? <laughs> We've become a verb. Like, you know, are we, that's, yeah. is that it? <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was really cool. Like, that was one thing where like, Moving okay, Moving closer to that gold standard. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> So switching gears a little bit, you mentioned that before Stark, you were CEO of Iris Health and you founded Iris. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So what's the Iris story? How how long were you doing that? <laughs> um, I was working on Iris for about two years. And Iris is essentially a, a digital health companion. We wanted it to be this product that existed for older adults. You know, we, we called them like newly retired older adults. Uh, we didn't want to say like the elderly or something like that. And, uh, you know, we wanted to provide them with this ability to track and understand their health on this individualized and, and, and you know, personalized basis. You know, a lot of products that are out there in the, the health world are like, you know, wellness or like quantifying self but we knew that for individuals that are, you know, older adults, there was a few problems. One being, it's hard for them to understand, you know, what they're looking at or what they're listening to when a doctor tells them one thing. So for us, it was, you know, how do we take data, which is inherently dated, and provide them with the the information of like, what happened, what is happening? And, you know, once we have enough data, like what is going to happen? You know, what can you expect based on this information that you, you've had and, you know, currently see? while allowing them to track things like, you know, notes from a doctor's visit and then share that with their loved ones. So keeping track of all that information while, you know, keeping their loved ones in the know. Yeah, I can see the thread tying you then to Stark. Mm -hmm. So you're a serial founder. Oh, is that what they call it? <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm just letting you know. You're a serial founder. You founded another company before that too, right? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> Did you, wait, how many are there? Four. <laughs> There's four. Oh, yes. you're for sure a serial founder. I'd love to hear more about, you know, the companies you founded and, you know, what's driving you to, to start these initiatives. Yeah. So um, the first one was Liberio. And uh, that was... What seems like ages ago now, Liberia was a platform for ebook creation and publishing. So we made it easy for individuals that wanted to self-publish to, you know, upload a Google Doc or a Word file or a GitHub Doc and convert that into a, an ebook that can then be published on, you know, Apple or Google Play or or whatnot, the Kindle Store. And we essentially remove that barrier to get those words and thoughts out there. You know, whether it's for scientists or the self-publishing author that had no easy way to do so. And then after that was... Iris. After that, Stark. And in April of this year, me and a few other of our co-founders launched Lyra. That's her iPad. And Lyra is the easiest way and the most affordable symbol-to-speech app for children with autism. You just started that while you were working on these other things. I, yeah, it, it's fine. It's <laughs> I wasn't doing that all at once. You know, Liberia has been shut down for, for quite a while now. And Iris, we, we put to the side just because timing of the market. 
I don't really think it's ready. And I want to make sure that, you know, anything we do that it's not done half-assed and that we're, you know, we're not in like, you know, a video game market, you know, I want to make sure that the people that are getting it are getting a quality product. So put that aside for the time being. And um, I'm working full-time, full-on, 100% on Stark. But yeah, in, in April, we kicked off uh, Lyra and that's been running, doing its own thing. What motivates you to create these things from scratch? I don't like the average products. I like figuring out markets that are filled with, I guess, like dated systems and products and help individuals that are often an afterthought. And I like trying to figure out how to, you know, flip that on its head. You know, publishing was one that just needed to be fixed. And, you know, with Liberio, we took that from 6,000 users in beta to 30,000 users about six months out the gate. And, you know, that just blew up and in the best ways. Then with autism, I think autistic individuals, particularly children with autism, are like this forgotten community. There's so much research and there's so much education and room to grow and to serve them and and, and help them and bring the tools that they want and need into modern technology. And it's like, why isn't it being done? And the same thing with Stark, you know, why aren't these tools beautiful for individuals that need it? Like, why aren't we making it easy? You know, the technology's there. Why is this a problem? And it's because nobody's really paying attention to it. Nobody's trying to, you know, get to understand these markets and these industries. And I like doing that. I like building products that connect us and, you know, move us ideally forward. I got lucky in life. You know, I had someone that paid it forward to me and, you know, a family that paid it forward to me. And if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be here. And so I think it's my job to pay it forward back. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful sentiment to not only help those who are often an afterthought, but to do so in a way that is beautiful and delightful. Thank you. You know, spoken like a true designer. (laughs) (laughs) What has your design education and experience been? Did you have a formal design training or um, major in that in college? No, I was a bio major. (laughs) Oh, okay. Classic. (laughs) Yeah. So you can see how I ended up here. Um, Yeah, I was a bio major focused on and obsessed with all things psych and pediatric neuro. And I I did not anticipate being here. Um, I was freelance designing in my spare time and it's just where I found most joy. I loved it. I loved what you could do with it. I loved how you could bend technology and and how good design could completely change the way you navigated the world and the one thing I always say to people is that like with design, you know, it's easy to yoke it up and say, you know, we're just pushing around shapes. And I think it takes away from so much of what we do. And granted, it could be that you are someone that is just pushing around shapes. That is technically possible. And we're not, you know, six inches deep into the the chest of a human being like a doctor would, um, yet we get paid the same amount. But we do have this responsibility because poor actions can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. And so I, I loved how much came with it. I thrived on responsibility. I thrived on on these goals. And for me, it was okay. You know, bio and, and the future of medicine was not something I saw myself doing, like waking up 30 years later and being satisfied with how life went. So I dropped out of school um, simultaneously around the time where my grandfather got sick. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer, which would then um, metastasize to his lungs and eventually brain. And 
So it was a lot of um, family time, but also a lot of like running from family and trying to avoid that because I couldn't, like on a vulnerable emotional level, I could not handle that. And so I got lost in design and I spent all of my time working and learning everything I could possibly learn about it. And I, at the same time, was very naive to what came with the design industry. I didn't think that it was like this lucrative business. Like I didn't think you can make a lot of money in it, Uh, you know. Hello, who knew? But uh, <laughs> for me, it, it just it made it all better because I was doing it because I loved it. And so um, I'd end up continuing to freelance and working in special education for a while with children with autism and also a variety of behavior and cognitive disorders until finally I quit and I pursued design full time, jumped into it. And by that point, you know, I learned a ton, but there was still so much to learn. I, you know, I ended up working for myself. I worked in, I guess you'd consider corporate. I was a leading design for ADP's Innovation Labs. I worked um, as a designer for Prolific Interactive. They're a mobile digital agency in New York and Brooklyn and San Francisco. I worked, you know, on startups. So, uh, you know, I'd eventually moved to San Francisco and then overseas. So, yeah, I mean, full-on experience in a variety of different areas, being able to see what works and what doesn't on an organizational level and on a design level, like what design looks like in all these different places. And yeah, Mm -hmm. and then in in 2013, would found my first company or co-found my first company, rather. What's next for Stark? What's the current big challenge that you're working on? current big challenge for us is trying to find the best way to put together really beautiful content and deliver this like really great educational experience and resources to help the community because consistent message is like, you know, where do we start? And so we think that uh, putting together, you know, different resources for the community would be great. So we're working on that now. We're working, you know, heads down. Just brought my sister Emily on to help with that. Um, She's a new designer in the industry. And so uh, she's stoked to be helping with that. And I'm stoked to be working with her, to, to be honest. It's really, really rad, especially on a project that I think we both jive really well on. So yeah, that education um, and resources. And the other is, you know, our, our sprints that are lined up for the rest of the year, honestly. Um, that's, you know, things like color suggestions people have asked for. So when something fails, suggesting a palettes that could work and exporting, you know, information, like contextually informative results for stakeholders that you can deliver. Yeah, there's a ton coming and I'm pretty stoked. Are there any existing resources or information on accessibility that you would recommend to folks? while you work on the additional content? (laughs) Well, no, you know, honestly, I I would never like hog that. About a year ago now, we kicked off a newsletter called The Stark Difference in Design. And what it ended up being was curated content from the internet to help you create products that are accessible and world-class and beautiful for everyone. And in there, every weekend, you get three to five links with write-ups from us and on that content. So we're, we're not someone that is trying to hog that. You know, we we try to promote even other products in the space whenever we can because the more people have the conversation, the better it is for everyone. So yeah, I mean if there's anything, there's information all over the internet, but if you want a compilation of that, if you want it, you know, highly curated, then yeah, I'd say sign up for our newsletter. Perfect. One stop shop. And where can people do that? Um you can go to newsletter.getstark.co and uh, you'll be able to sign up right from there. And if folks want to follow along with you, where's the best way to do that? Uh, I'd say Twitter is where I live most days. My Twitter handle is at I'm Kat Noon. 
Well, Kat, thanks for joining me today. It was great getting to learn more about you and also Stark. I appreciate you having me, and I hope it's beneficial or helpful and interesting to everyone. I'm sure it will be. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.